0: Hi Jason Harris. Hi, how are you? Thank you so much for having me here in your New York City office. It's really big.
1: Yeah, it's a big office. It kept
0: going when they were leading me back here. Yeah,
1: it's really pricey too. (laughs) I'm sure. Stressful, you know. Yeah. How many
0: people are you working here?
1: Uh, We're like about a hundred, but we we moved offices like three times. So I wanted to overdo it because every time you move, it's a it's a pain. So I. Kind of went bigger than I needed to. Okay. Try to grow into it.
0: And you've multiple locations, right? Yeah,
1: we have four offices. We started in San Francisco. Okay. And then New York was second, and then we opened Chicago, and then Seattle.
0: Great. So how yeah. many people are you? We're employing like 200 altogether. something. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah, it's good. And I saw on your social media that you do this annual retreat you just mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's our mechanism
1: summit. Yeah.
0: So what? Tell me, what is that about?
1: So we get. Um, all four offices together because they'll talk on the phone or video conference but they have never really interact all together okay. and so it's easier to fly everyone to one location okay. um, versus you know having people travel to the different offices and so we all come together once a year and sort of align our goals for the next year we talk about what we accomplished the year before and then we you know do like um, various events like We did Color Wars this year. So it was like a camp theme. So everyone like got tapped into their camp kid. (laughs) And they had different colors. And they all we did like a Color Wars with like dodgeball, tug of war, uh, potato sack races. It was fun. And then we all have dinner together. And the idea is to interact with people that you don't know and try to sort of break up that, you know, these are my three friends from work I hang out with and make people interact with each other. So yeah, it's really good. Great. It's fun. Yeah. Does
0: everyone come back to the office feeling refreshed and like
1: Yeah, they're motivated for like two months and then and then, and <laughs> and then, then the, they need another And one. then they need another one. But yeah, so it but it gets everyone really inspired and it feels like a community again. Love so that. yeah, it's good.
0: Cool. So you are the co-founder and CEO of Mechanism. Yeah. Um you're also the co-founder of the Creative Alliance. You're on the Global Board of Directors for Advertising Week. You're on the board of directors for the United Social Impact Leadership Council, and you're the author of the Soulful Art of Persuasion, which I can't wait to oh, talk yeah. to you more about. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm always so curious about how successful CEOs like yourself get started and and um, have flourished. You know. Uh-huh. Um, so let's start with where you grew up and how you grew up and. Yeah, sure. My so my
1: background. So I grew up in. The suburbs of DC in oh, Virginia. No yep.
0: I grew up um, in the suburbs of DC also. Oh, Maryland. really? <laughs> really? What? Like Potomac,
1: Maryland. Potomac, yeah. So many people for Potomac. It's so funny. So I was in Springfield, Virginia, You're so kidding. Fairfax County. And um, I, uh, I mean, I would never live there now, would you? No, no. way. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, a lot of people think that. It's but
0: great. I appreciate it for what it is. I appreciate but, yes. it
1: too, but it's a very different world. Um, but I, my, both my parents were teachers and so they were real academics and intellectuals and they read all the time and, um, that was sort of the way they experienced the world was through books and I was much more of a experience through, you know, getting into trouble and taking risks and I wasn't much of a bookworm when I was a kid. Um, but I did love watching TV. I did watch like a lot of TV. I listen to music and watch TV. Those were kind of like my two big influences. And I would always watch TV and I'd look at the ads. So when I was growing up, like the Kool-Aid ad was like my favorite ad. And we're like, <laughs> and he just like busts through the wall, you know? Yeah. They're like, hey, Kool-Aid. And he like breaks up the school dance and he like ruins the school. And then they drink sugar water and get hopped up. And I just I don't know, I always loved the Kool-Aid man and like um, Lego, my ego, anything with like a, a famous like catchy phrase. And so I'd watched a lot of TV and I would always like sort of in my mind, I was like probably 12 or 13, I would like dissect the ads that I liked. And then it dawned on me at a pretty young age that people can do that for a living. Like, they can actually, someone, someone has a job making those ads. How old was, were you when they uh, Yeah, like 12 or 13. Oh, wow. I Like, for a long time, I knew what I wanted to do. Cool. Um, and I don't know why I wasn't, didn't think about movies or television or entertainment. I just was always into the ads for some reason. And so I knew, you know, even when I went to college, which I went to college for econ, which I did for my parents, but I was never going to use it and I just always knew like right out of college I went into advertising so I always wanted to to, I always knew what I wanted to do Um, and early on I knew I'd want to start my own thing so um, that's kind of unusual you know a lot of of a lot of paths meander or someone falls into something just by contacts or where they end up but I sort of like was dead set on it yeah at a young age yeah Yeah, I
0: feel like also a lot of people have a similar story as a child, people kind of know what they're passionate about and know what they would be good at. Yeah. But like you said, like your parents influence, like what you're gonna do or what you think you have to do or yeah. what you have to go to school for and yeah. the kind of society kind of yeah. molds you that way as well. It did, so it's yeah. awesome that you actually were able to cut through all that.
1: Yeah, you know? I was, but in hindsight, you know, I sort of got the degree because my parents were paying for my school. I was very fortunate that way, but it wasn't something I was interested in, you Yeah. Know? Like, I don't know. I don't know what you studied or in, in school, but I was, you know, doing, like, uh, stats and, you know, uh, macroeconomics and none of it. It just, like, went in and went out, <laughs> took the test, and that was it, you know? Totally. Uh, but I wish I, like, studied, you know, I don't know, art history I was really into. But um, I think also when you're in school, you should study whatever your interests are because it doesn't really matter what your degree didn't is, agree you know? more. It's yeah. so true. but no one tells you that.
0: No one tells you that. You the know? They think it's yeah. like sets
1: you on a path, but yeah. it doesn't really matter.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's you know, going to going to school in general, I think is valuable because you almost learn like the systems. Like yeah. for me, school was almost like. How do I get through this system so I get like a passing enough grade and can continue, you know, to have these certificates that I need to do my life kind of thing? Yeah,
1: and and it teaches you discipline and and social interaction and things like that. Um, But there's, you know, there's not those classes that you took that, you know, you remember. Like, I don't don't remember advanced accounting or, you know what I mean? Right, yeah. Yeah.
0: So what was your first job in advertising?
1: So my first job out of college, um, I couldn't land. It's not always that easy to get into advertising. So I couldn't land like my dream job at like a great creative agency. So I sort of got my first, um, job through a friend at a promotions agency. So we would do, uh, it was for Miller cores, which actually is one of our clients today, which is kind of ironic. Mm-hmm. We would do like, you know, if you go to like a Vaughn's or, one of those supermarkets, I don't know if they do that anymore, but they would have like big inflatable blow ups of whatever new product came out, you know, and Uh, they would give you like, it's like kind of like sampling Uh or, yeah, I guess it's in a way it's like promotional advertising. So you'd go to different um, places and we had these huge Miller trucks and we would set up and have a DJ and like have these big inflatables and we would be trying to sell, you know, the Miller, the Miller dream. Very yeah. Cool. So I did that I was like organizing all these trucks. But <laughs> so I went from promotions. Then I got a job at a design firm, which was all neither of those were what I, where I wanted to go, but it was like trying to get on my path to get to an advertising agency that did, you know, ads, yeah. ad ads. Yeah. And
0: ads like you guys specialize in what? Digital ads? We
1: or? do a lot of social media. We do we do a ton of television still like television yeah. ads, surprisingly, are still yeah. a big business. And we do outdoor, we do, I mean, you name it, branded content. We do film, we do, yeah. you know, video content. So really anything under the sun at this point. Yeah.
0: Okay. Great. Yeah. Do you have like a money spot? Like, is there something that you find is like your, you know, your bread and butter something that you're like the best at?
1: I think we really are good at mirroring like strategy and creative together. So what the brand wants to become. We help sort of define the brand positioning, where the white space is for that brand, what they can own uh, strategically, and then bring that to life through big creative ideas. And then we can execute those ideas on really any level or any platform. But we always believe that one big holistic idea of what the brand stands for, the reason for being, uh, you know, the soul of the brand, we define that and then bring it to life and then work for this, you know, hopefully work for the same client for years and years to bring it to life. Awesome. Yeah.
0: Um, what do you think it takes for someone to become a CEO of an agency like Mechanism?
1: Um, so like uh, any CEO or particularly in advertising, do you think?
0: Um, let's start with advertising. Yeah, with advertising? Yeah. I
1: think really understanding, I was fortunate because I worked in a lot of different areas of the business. So I understood, you know, new business, how to pitch and win or lose business. I knew, I understood production. I knew a bit about strategy. So I worked in different disciplines, how to manage relationships. And so I think, um, you know, it doesn't always happen that way, but having knowledge from different disciplines within advertising uh, really helps. And then I think having an understanding of good work and what makes good work, and then how to build relationships with clients. Sort of those are, I think, the key. And then how to, obviously, part of any CEO's job is coming up with a vision and motivating the team and feel like everyone's working through the shared vision and then uh, outlining cultural values and then making sure those values Permeate throughout the agency because without those values and having those values on paper, and living those and embodying those and reiterating those over and over, um, it becomes like the culture becomes lukewarm. And you know they always say culture eats strategy for breakfast, and I think (laughs) in building a business, the CEO's job is to keep that culture alive and vibrant.
0: How would you describe your culture here at Mechanism?
1: Um, Well, we sort we have a list of. and everyone gets like a book when they start and every internal meeting we reiterate the values, but they there's not sort of one thing that holds it together, but the type of people we want to hire are creative entrepreneurs. So they have an, cause we're an independent agency, so we're not owned by anyone. So we have to, everyone has to feel like they're not a cog in the wheel, but they have ownership. So they have to feel like entrepreneurs themselves. And then really the creative means that they're really all about the end product and what we put out into the world and they have to love creativity, not just getting the job done. So that's sort of the type of people that we attract and look for, screen for. And then our values are optimism, fearlessness, we're realistic, uh, collaborative. So those are sort of the key ones um, that we define. And we, you know, we want people that are optimistic in spirit. They aren't afraid to speak up. They aren't afraid to pitch crazy ideas. They're also realistic. You know, we have to improve and sell products and services. Right. So we have to make sure that the work we do is working. And then um, collaboration is really important. Just feeling like you're part of a team. Everyone's contributing ideas. There's no ego or politics. Um, things like that, which, you know, you have to manage through a lot to keep those values alive.
0: I'm sure. Yeah. What are your biggest challenges that you face as a leader in life? Oh yeah.
1: As a leader, um, in advertising today, it's really talent is really hard to maintain because, um, in any service based industry, all you are is the people that you hire. You know, that's what makes the company. You're just really, in a way, a talent agency. You know, it's, a, it's how the people come together and work, but it's the individual people that make the company. And with, you know, Apple and Facebook and Google and brands building a lot of in-house agencies um, and throwing money at people, it's really hard to always maintain the best talent because they might just go where the money is, but you have to hold on to that talent, make them feel respected and appreciated, um, and you might not be able to match them dollar for dollar on salary, so you have to offer them a different work environment or not feel like they're just one in 7,000 people, um, but maintaining talent's probably the hardest part of the job, I would say.
0: Makes sense, and do you offer them would you say that your culture is something that's more appealing to them than necessarily another company throwing dollars at them?
1: Definitely, like culture, and then variety. So we have like 32 clients, I think. Oh wow! And so you can work on different clients. We do a lot of nonprofit work, so I think that is how we try to keep our edge. But you know, sometimes the almighty dollar wins out. You know, <laughs> and we, you know, we're not we're not Facebook or Google, so yeah, uh, we we have to compete on culture. Right. Yeah.
0: Speaking of the nonprofits, tell me about your work with the United Nations. What is the U.N. Social Impact Leadership Council that you're a part of and what exactly do you do?
1: So that's um, a council that really it's really designed for the sustainable development goals and really helping make sure that those have an impact in the world. And, um, you know, for our part, we created uh, campaign around it, and you know the Sustainable Development Goals. A little, I've heard a little yeah, bit about so I that think yet. that's how everyone is. Okay, it's like they kind of know them, but they don't really know them. So every um, every 13 years, um, there's a new sort of mandate by 193 com- uh, countries around the world that agree on what the most important things are for the future of the world. And they come up with, like they were called the millennial goals before. Now they're called the sustainable development goals. So they come out with new ones. Okay. And this year, there or this um, period, there's 17 of them. So it's like end poverty, uh, climate change. So there's a whole list of them. And um, it's confusing. It's hard to understand. It's hard to figure out how any person can make an impact so we created this campaign to try to explain them to people um, and it's it's great because there's companies all over the world working on the sustainable development goals but i think um, our goal is to try to make them more top of mind and impact culture so that people understand what they are and how they can help uh, but it's cool because it's one of the few things where the whole world comes together to have these Love agreements, that. which the UN is, that's what the UN's there right. for. Yeah. Love that. Yeah.
0: What is the creative alliance that you founded and why did you find it, found it?
1: Okay, good question. So the creative alliance, um, there's a period where um, I know you talk about, you've asked like, do I feel successful or what is success? And um, even running running an agency, which was always my dream and my goal, well, wow, that's rewarding. I still always felt like I was, um, you know, selling shoes or deodorant or uh, <laughs> I don't know, um, financial services, whatever yeah. clients hire us for. And I still felt like that was great and running a company is amazing, but I didn't feel like I was doing much, you know, I mean much to help the world improve. And so um, the UN came later, but I worked on my first um, nonprofit social good campaign, which was called It's On Us, which is to end sexual assault on college campuses. And we, we launched that with a Biden and Obama White House. And from there, it was really successful and it felt really good. Like people were really proud of the company to be doing something and treat it like a brand, like we launched it like a brand, wow. as if we were uh, selling razors. We built a brand that was trying to sell colleges and students on consent and not being bystanders. But we launched it as a brand versus just a PSA, where you know it's like, don't rape, you know, <laughs> <All> right? <laughs> don't rape people. right. Like that's bad. But really, how do you help change rape culture? Yeah. An impact and it was really targeted at at men uh, to understand that, um, you know, their actions matter or turning a blind cheek matters and so it was just really, really rewarding. And then from that, other uh, nonprofits would ask us to do work and I realized that we couldn't, um, there's only so much free work you can take on and still have a viable business. so but I wanted to do all that work. And I realized that it was, a uh, it scratched an itch for me where I was at a point in my career where I was sort of down in the dumps,
0: looking for fulfillment. Looking for fulfillment. Yeah, that's yeah. a
1: great way to put it. I was looking for fulfillment and I felt like, great, this is my dream and I achieved it, but it's a little hollow, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I was doing anything bigger than myself or my clients. And so, um, from that. It was really rewarding, and then we created uh, the Creative Alliance, which is a consortium of agencies that can do nonprofit work like we had done, and they could also enjoy that experience and use their advertising powers for good. And so we called the Creative Alliance, and actually, today we got our 100th. Um, agency so it's wow. massive there's like Congrats. a there's like a hundred companies in it I
0: had no idea yeah so yeah, big. yeah it's big wow.
1: um, and uh, yeah, it's and it's so we do a lot on anti-hate and discrimination access to co- education in college we do gender equality we do civic engagement which is really about yeah. getting people to come out and vote so it's been really it's been awesome that's like, really awesome. So that balances out. Like I can sell ice cream and, you know. <laughs>
0: and still feel and good And still feel good. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. And that's then I amazing. can also help run this other thing. So, yeah. So, so great. So that's been cool.
0: I am so into your book. Oh, yeah? That's the awesome. The Art of Persuasion. I'm what? so glad to hear that. Oh, my God. So great. Um, there's a lot I want to ask you about it. Okay. But first, what made you want to write this book?
1: Um, well, I... <clears throat> It took me three years to do, and I, I had an idea of, um, you know, the way I re- I do read a lot. I didn't read when I was younger, but I do read a lot now, and I, I tend to read a lot of business books, and I read a lot of business books on, you know, how to be successful and how to sell and how to pitch ideas, and I, w- I read a lot of them, and I didn't feel like they spoke to me and I didn't feel like the tools and tactics they talked about I didn't really do or I didn't really necessarily believe in and I thought you know I and I never had put it into a framework like the way I operate or the way I run my business or sell or or have relationships with clients Um, and I realized that the way I do it is different than a lot what a lot of the books were saying so it compelled me to try to put it into a formula and a practice and so that that really is why and this was about it took me three years to write but I started thinking about it like four years ago um so that was the reason why you
0: felt like you needed to like put it out there for people
1: yeah it was also an exercise for myself to like understand the way that I conduct business because I just do it the way I do it but I never sort of structured it
0: right you just have to take a step back so i took a step back and see like see what you're doing see yeah. what
1: i'm doing and then organize like what are the principles i believe in on that topic and how do i um, share those with other people and then put my beliefs into a book so yeah but it was you know it's really hard i don't know if you've ever done that before like tried to write I'm something i'm trying to right now uh, yeah. actually
0: so yeah it is really challenging
1: yeah it's re- it's really hard yeah. um, but once you sort of get the outline in the framework, then you can fill in the ideas you believe in with examples from your own life or pop culture references or st- research and studies. So once you sort of organize your thoughts, then you can kind of fill it in. Um, that's great. But advice. it's the or, it's the organizing the principles. That's really the, hard the part. hardest part. Yeah. And sure. then, then it sort of flows. But yeah. Yeah, it was really hard. And then you think it's like not good enough and you have all those doubts, and can I put this out there, you know, is it gonna resonate with people? So you have, you go through a, a, journey, a real journey when you, I mean, when you're, you know, building or launching anything, but a particularly a book, because it, I think it's so personal. I um, could totally yeah, see yeah. that. But it's rewarding, Yeah, it's been good.
0: In the intro to your book, you mentioned that you've <clears throat> learned to, pers- to become a persuasive person over the course of two decades, mm-hmm. um, I would love to hear a little bit about what your life and your career were like before becoming this soulfully persuasive person that you are today, and what it took to begin embodying these characteristics that you discuss in the book.
1: Yeah, so there's that's a good great question. There's so there's um, there's sort of four founding principles in the book. One is um, original, which is all about. You know, being yourself and leaning into your uniqueness. There's generosity. Uh, there's empathy, and then there's this idea of soulfulness. And I think when I started earlier on, I would sort of have like my real self, and then like my work self, mm. and you know, almost like you were you're putting on a mask or acting, and um, it's and didn't necessarily uh, get me as that far. Um, or, uh, you know, i just felt like it wasn't me. I was being like a little bit more um, overly professional and stuffy. And uh, I don't think I let people into who I was. So I didn't make a lot of connections that way. Interesting. Um, yeah, so I think that was sort of one turning point was this idea of um, sort of finding your voice and your beliefs and your vulnerability and that that is what attracts people to want to work with you not what you think they want you to be
0: Absolutely. you know
1: and I mean it seems obvious but it's that was like a big breakthrough for me so it's one of those things yeah. that's
0: easier said than done yeah like every when, when you yeah. say that everyone's yeah. gonna be like yeah of course well, of But course. if they actually looked at themselves I bet you the majority of people aren't really doing that to their yeah.
1: yeah, totally. And yeah. embracing your failures and communicating your failures and you know your successes too. But I think just this idea of um, being leaning into being yourself, whether the outcome's always what you want or not, in the long run will will really pay dividends. So I I don't think I you know, I had like a different work uh, persona. I'm not a naturally generous person, but I am now. Like I had to train myself habitually to be um, generous and think about others. And those traits, as I realized I wanted to embody those characteristics personally and professionally, a lot more started happening positively on the career front. And so that's one thing, like, I think naturally I have sort of the empathetic soulful part mm-hmm. but this like originality and generous part I had to I had to really learn and I and those unlocked when I started thinking that way it unlocked so much and it was way more powerful than the way I was operating before
0: I'm sure Yeah how do you train yourself to become more generous if you're not naturally that way <laughs>
1: Um that's a good question I think it's um and you know my idea of of generosity is really this idea of trying to give something away at every moment, like at every interaction. And that can be your time or your advice or your compassion. It can be stuff. It can be giving away things. Um, But training yourself to think about every opportunity as a way to be a generous person and it doesn't have to be burdensome like it doesn't have to bring you back um it can be really simple things but i used to you know work myself and not have time for other people or if someone asked my advice i would not have time for them or if someone emailed me out of the blue i wouldn't respond to them because i was just thinking about my day-to-day and when you create this sort of generosity of spirit, it, um, it, just, un- it just, it's hard to explain, because you can't measure it, it just unlocks so much.
0: I know exactly what you mean. And, the, yeah.
1: and there's a lot of things now that I do. If I like, read a great book, I'll buy um, a second copy, and I'll think of, down the road, the perfect person to send it to. Or I do that with music a lot. Or you know, sending an email. When you know someone's really into, I don't know, like, uh, re- you know, retail experiences, and you read an interesting article <laughs> and you send it to them, right. or could it could be re-
0: like a compliment. It could be a like, compliment. Yeah. It could be,
1: yeah, you know, as long as it's it's authentic. It could yeah. be, you know, someone came out. You 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 uh, heard this podcast about this artist, and you know this person loves this artist, so you you send it to them. Just making sure people are. You know, and you always think to do those things, but a lot of times you don't just doing them like instantaneously when you think of it and you think of how much someone uh, helped you through something or, um, you know, is a good friend. And just sending those things out like that generous spirit into the ether, I think, is really important. And you start to think that way and you start to act that way habitually. And oh, shit. Sorry. All good. And you don't have to think about it. That should have been a. (laughs) before taping thing um yeah so that's that's sort of how I trained to and it felt good and I would connect with people in a better way so I kept doing it
0: yeah that's the one I have to work on but
1: I wasn't like no I wasn't born that way you know I was born to be like heads down in my own world and I had to break out of that yeah very
0: cool you touch on I mean these are great introspective principles you touch on a lot of them in the book um one of which you mentioned is empathy. Empathy, yeah. This is a quality that I think is starting to become discussed a lot more amongst leaders today because yeah. I think it's so important because it's so misunderstood. Um, you know, a lot of people think that empathy means you have to be nice to people or mm-hmm. you're being polite, um, but it's really so different than that. Yeah. Can you explain to you- to, What it means yeah, to Yeah, what, me? what, what empathy yeah. means to you and why it's important and valuable to be, in persuasion and business
1: sure yeah so I think I think you you bring up a really good point because I think and people think empathy is especially in business it's like getting the other person to like you and it's really about you know empathy by definition is really about the ability to understand and share other people's feelings like what they might be going through that's really at the core of what it is and the you know i think we live in such a an age now where we're really in our own groups and tribes and we think we're all so different but uh we always we all share i always talk about this we all share 99.9 percent of the same dna and there's this point one percent that makes all of us different But in our mind, we think, you know, my group is so different than that group that's different than that group. And I think approaching things that way of we all are going through the same human um, condition and we're all we all want the same things out of life. And it just helps you understand uh, someone else's position or perspective. And we tend to, if someone doesn't agree with our approach, whether it's in business or personally, we sort of argue in a way that isn't understanding where they're coming from. And so through asking questions and really understanding what's behind, because if we approach it as like, we basically all think the same way, but we disagree on this thing. What's behind that person's point of view so I can understand where they're coming from doesn't mean that I'm going to change my point Doesn't mean I'm going to persuade them to agree with me. But if I understand where they're coming from and it makes sense to me and I can empathize with it, it definitely goes a long way to like bridging, bridging the gap. And I think we're so often. Even in business, right? Like we all have clients, whatever we do, there's clients and we're so easy to hang up the phone and be like, you know, they're a moron or they don't get it (laughs) or they just don't understand, uh, versus taking the time to uncover what's behind it. Like when we don't sell something or someone doesn't buy something, it's easy to say they're a bad judge of creative or they don't understand it or they're not, uh, brave enough to do it. But then when you ask the questions, you uncover, you know, maybe they're, um, scared of their boss or. They are on dangerous ground in in their work, and they don't want to try anything risky. or all they care about is sales numbers because that's where they get their bonus. Whatever you you know you uncover behind it, it then helps you come up with a way to help them understand or get them to your side of the of the view by by understanding where they are so that you can help sell in that way. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's like yeah. a shift in perspective. Shift in basically, perspective basically, right? versus yeah. like, oh, they don't get it, I'll right. go around them or I'll right. you know, try a different tactic. you got to understand where they're coming from. Yeah, because you know?
0: most people are so closed off. It's like are yeah. lacking that peace yeah. that would make things so fluid and so much easier, I think, in life and not yep. just, yeah, in so many ways. And it
1: doesn't mean like you're going to get people to agree with you and it right. doesn't mean you're going to change their mind, but it gives you a better opportunity to see where they're coming from by digging a little bit deeper. Um, asking questions and coming in with that viewpoint, like, all right, we all, we all want the same thing. So let's start with that filter versus, uh, we're all, we're all so different, you know?
0: Exactly. I found this section about the pull of positivity in your book to be really, really interesting. Can you speak? explain a little bit about the dissection of positive versus negative persuasion and why we should choose to be positive when negative persuasion can be so effective and we see it being very effective all around us. Yeah,
1: sure. So, um, there was a, um, um, there was a, well, I'll, I'll start with an example of it. So when I did the first social good campaign, it was with, um, Vice President Biden and I had we had done some a campaign for Axe body spray, which was I don't know if you remember that. I that? Do remember. Yeah. They're like teenage kids, and you spray on the stuff, and then the girls flock to you. And, <laughs> the ads were amazing. Uh, it uh, yeah.
0: smelled eh, I know but,
1: it was well. Now you couldn't you couldn't amazing. do ads like that today, but someone on Biden's staff like dug b- behind some of our work and saw that we had done some work for Axe. And they're like, oh, they know how to talk to college kids, teenagers and college kids. So if they know how that audience, maybe we can get them to flip it and do a campaign to fight sexual assault if those ads were a little like, you know, sexual the other way. And uh, went in and met with um, Biden. And the way that he sort of sold us on doing free work was not Um, you know, you're doing this kind of work, shouldn't you, wouldn't it be good to like, shouldn't you do something positive? Like, how can you live with yourself? (laughs) Yeah. Which is almost like a negative approach. But the way he did it was imagine helping impact a world where freshmen and college women don't have to be scared to walk home at night or don't have to feel like uh, uncomfortable if they're in a room of men or that um, you know they 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 aren't scared about drinking or someone's going to put something in their drink or whatever you know ha- happens there's uh, right now there's 20 percent of freshmen and sophomore women are sexually assaulted in some way so it's oh, like wow. a crazy statistic yeah, that is. and the way he he told it wasn't isn't that depressing and you know, you should use advertising to do something good for once. He did it in a way that was like, imagine a world that we could help be a part of that was X, Y, and Z. And that like positive spin on it, that's what persuaded me. Um, versus the negative guilt shame way wouldn't ne- necessarily work. So like You don't that, think so? Uh well probably would've worked on me, but uh <laughs> it, it it's just the difference of like making someone, um, influencing them through po- a positive lens yeah. versus a, you really shouldn't, a, shouldn't, shaming. a shaming lens, <laughs> and that's, that's sort of the difference. Um, maybe I would have done it still, but I, I did it in a way that was, I had way more pride about it, and I was inspired. I wasn't doing it because I felt you know shame or regret, or I wasn't trying to balance out the other work. I was doing it as like a, a badge of honor
0: you got, you got to enjoy the process. I got to enjoy it, it. Yeah.
1: And I think that always stuck with me as, you know, pulling people over it to your way of thinking is, is more powerful done in a, in a positive way. It's almost like, you know, your mom, <clears throat> your mom saying, you know, it's like, you know, you don't call me enough, you know, you really need to call me. Like, don't you care about me? Like, why don't you call your mother versus. Your mom's saying, you know, every chance I get to talk to you, uh, it just brightens my day and it's so great to talk to you. And you know, it's like those different things, it, it just attracts you in a way that makes you feel like you want to do it versus they want you to do it. And I think that difference of the pull of the positive and negative, it can be really useful in life and in business. And um, there's always two ways to do it, and I always opt for the positive outcome.
0: Beautiful. Yeah. I really appreciated um, having you at the Conscious Enterprises panel. This yeah, past that was fall an awesome week. panel. Yeah, yeah you did a great job. It was so great great much fun. Yeah. And um, I typically, I love showcasing um, meditation as the primary method for uh, high performers to really uh, introspect. Yeah. But I thought it was interesting that you actually don't have a regular meditation practice. And I think it's important that people understand that while I think everyone should meditate, I think it makes everyone better at life, um, it doesn't have to be the only tool for introspection and creating perspective. It can happen many ways. So what are some of your regular practices for getting in flow and optimizing your performance as a CEO?
1: That's a good question. What, do you meditate all the time?
0: All the time. How often? Oh my God. If I have time to, I'll do it two or three times a day, maybe anywhere from 20 to 60 minutes.
1: 20 to 60 minutes?
0: Yeah, but it didn't start that way. I started with maybe like five or 10 and then you build up.
1: Wow. Yeah. I could not imagine doing (laughs) it for 20 minutes. I tried it. um, I do it like a couple times a week. I can only do it in the morning. And I do it for like 10 minutes in the morning. Oh, you do? I do. And I actually almost, I did it like maybe once a week. And then after that panel, I actually, it turned me on to a new way to meditate. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. Because... Um, You know, it was done through music, and it was done through percussive music, and that just made made me realize that there's a lot of different ways to meditate, and it doesn't have to be just an app with someone's voice in your head. It can be through music and breath work, and that appealed to me a lot more, but it's really obvious now but that like helped open my my uh, mind to it oh
0: my god i'm so glad to yeah that. it was
1: awesome but i but i still try to find you know even 10 minutes to do it in the morning but i it's i don't do it every morning but i do it frequently ish now um you definitely see a huge difference yes and the way i think for me starting the day with that makes a massive impact um but i have to you know put it in my schedule to do it. But that, yeah, that panel actually helped open me up to that. So that's one thing that I'm doing, but still a novice at. Um, I also work out in the mornings. And for me, doing a lot of boxing activity, um, not, while it's not meditative, it helps me shut my brain off. You know, it's, it's sort kind of, of meditative. It kind mean, of most is Most med-
0: workouts are meditative in some form. They can
1: be. And I'm, it makes me not think about anything else except there you go. that activity. So that is really powerful. But again, that's only useful to me in the morning. So those are sort of my morning routines. And then um, I talked about this on your panel, but I do this gratitude journal with my I have two boys. And we do it. We, don't, we do it once a week. We do it every Thursday night and I'll set a list of questions. There's always three questions, and we write the date down. We I write the questions in their journals, and then they answer them, and then we go around. They write them down, and then we go around and answer them, and what's great about that is you can always flip through and see other questions and the way you answered them, so it's always a great refresher, but for me, once a week, um, there's enough that changes week to week that it makes it powerful. I don't I tried before to like do a a daily practice of it.
0: Yeah, it's hard. But it
1: started to get to like I don't know. Today I like ate well. You know, it it wasn't as powerful. But the weekly practice of uh, gratitude journaling is um, you get bigger milestones and information in there. And I think doing it in a group keeps you accountable. And then you get to hear. You get a sort of starts a dialogue, versus it being a just a, a. a quiet sort of reflective solo experience.
0: Do you find that you're seeing uh, it's cool that you do with your kids? Yeah. especially do you do you see their perspectives changing by doing this?
1: Yeah, I see the well, definitely like the next day. They always wake up in like great moods the next day because that has a and, you know, change wow. rewires how you think. Um, and then I think it's really go- good for goal setting, um, you know, because some of the questions will be like, what do you want to achieve this week? Or what's one thing you achieved last week? And I think it, um, yeah, I, I notice a, a difference. I should probably try to do it more often, but I've found that that we'd stick to. Yeah, That's amazing. I, I think it just matters what you do, that you're consistent with it. And that seems to be working, yeah. That's a good one. Um, yeah, so the, yeah, boxing, trying to do the meditation more, and gratitude journaling is, those are kind of the main things when I think about routine.
0: Cool. Yeah. And you touched on um, how you measure success a little bit when we talked about the creative alliance. Yeah. Do you consider yourself successful today?
1: Um, in some, some aspects, I do. I think I am successful in completing when I have a goal, I can make it happen. I think I'm successful in that way. But I think so. I would, I would say I think professionally, yes. I think personally I have a lot of growth, uh, still to do and trying to get more in touch with my, um, it's really hard for me to be a vulnerable person and that part and emotional and open up in a way that is, um, sort of deep. Um, I've been really practicing that through a lot of like, I'm doing like this group therapy dynamic where you're talking in front of strangers that you don't know. What's it called? It's just called Group Therapy. Uh, okay. Well, it's like a new group, so she calls it New Group Therapy. It's like the worst name. But <laughs> it's not it's not some like special handle or practice, um, but that's been it's been really interesting because you see how strangers you don't know view you and you see how you impose your views on other people and then you try to like dig through and get deep with people that you don't know. And That's it's great. been really uh, awesome. So I think to answer your question, I'd say yes, fairly successful from a professional standpoint. But I think I still have a lot of personal growth. Um, we all do. To get, I know. Like that'll, <laughs> that'll, never, that'll never end. Yeah. At least yeah. you're on it. You're yeah, on the track. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying. Yeah.
0: How do you see the world evolving 10 years from now, and how do you see yourself contributing to it?
1: Um, Wow, that's such a broad question. Uh, 10 years. Uh, You know, I think we're... I think that we're all becoming more... um, And younger generations are feeling this. I think we're all becoming much more uh, purpose oriented and not, not just being content with, um, I have a great friend network. I love my job, but I think there's this, this movement towards, um, contributing and building legacy and doing more to make the world a little bit better. So I think, There's this sort of drive to purpose that is getting gaining, like kind of critical mass with people. Like what are what are you doing that's helping the world? Not what are you doing? How much money do you have? Like not, do you have a yacht and a Lamborghini, but what are you doing that is helping move the world forward? And I think that's so awesome to see. So I feel like in 10 years, that's going to just continue to be sort of the marker of success. And um, I think everyone's trying to figure out for them what that what that is.
0: Great, and, yeah. you, and you're obviously contributing that. I'm trying, I mean, at. I can always
1: do more. That's fantastic. What do you think is gonna happen in 10 years?
0: Oh, a lot of things. Uh, I mean, I think we're amidst a pretty interesting evolution for sure. Yeah. You know, I think that, I mean, you know, people are getting more into wellness. We're starting to understand the mind-body connection a lot more. Um, That's true. I think in terms of business, what you said is right. You know, purpose-driven business is the only way to go, because I think eventually, if you're not gonna stand for a purpose, consumers are probably gonna lose interest pretty quickly. Definitely.
1: They're expecting you to stand for more. Yeah, and I
0: think just as a species, as a human race, we're kind of up-leveling a little bit. You know, people are becoming a lot more introspective. You know, I think we're kind of breeding um, you know, the the next stage of consciousness from where we went from cavemen to all of a sudden being self-aware. I think there's something else going on now. Now they which too. is
1: great, yeah. Which is with it, it, the meditation, which is untapping and, the mind and exactly. the potential. I totally agree. I think
0: deconstructing reality and all that. Yeah. I know,
1: and I think the there's this interesting like. Uh, I don't, I don't really know it that well, but there's this interesting thing of um, the impact of food on the mind and body and Absolutely. that I think we're like just starting to unlock yes. how critical what we put into our body and what supplements we use and how we can sort of modulate the the body and our well-being
0: 100%. I, th- I think we
1: never really saw that connection as much as we are starting to yeah you know? definitely yeah. we can heal ourselves you know yes yeah
0: So I have one last question I'd like to leave everyone with. What's a valuable piece of advice you'd like to share with other professionals and entrepreneurs?
1: So I think, um, you know, you you and I as like entrepreneurs um, and creating things and, you know, having doing what we love. I think whether it's an entrepreneur or so someone in any profession like trying to be be successful I think one thing that I've realized is this idea of playing the long game and realizing that you're impatient you know you want the next thing you want that next marker of success you have set out for yourself you want to increase your business x percent but that Um, business and entrepreneurship is a is a marathon and you don't have to put so much pressure on like by next year I have to have you know it's it really is a long game and I think when you play it as a long game and you think about it that way you're creating a network and building relationships over time and those relationships if cultivated will will always pay off but you don't have to stress about like getting it all done Like right now, like I always try to think about playing the long game and not the short, not the short game. And when you act that way, you make different decisions. You're not you're not uh, pushing for a sale you need when you don't get something. You're not devastated when you cultivate relationships. Even if you don't win something, you're still thinking about that as building a relationship. When you have that mindset, your odds of success are going to be much greater because you're looking at it as as a long game and not transaction to transaction. So I think that's like the biggest um, piece for me that that changed my mindset. Great advice. All right. Cool.
0: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was great.